When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, it's getting to be that time of year when people are doing their holiday shopping and mm-hmm. the kids out there are compiling their Christmas lists. And little Candace, you know, from the days of yore, <laughs> one of the hottest items I ever, ever wanted was an American Girl doll. Did Ooh, you ever have this I growing did, up? I did, but all my friends talk about how they love them when they're growing up. They yeah. were the best. And I yeah. guess it was just, you know, fate that I turned out to be sort of a history buff because mm-hmm, these, totally. these dolls are all steeped in history, American yeah, yeah. history. And the one I loved the most was Felicity because mm-hmm. she was a redhead like mm-hmm. me. And the premise behind Felicity was that she was a colonist okay. and her parents were patriots and there was a time that came when Felicity, who was learning how to be a young woman with manners, had to start refusing tea because her parents, again, were teaching the family that it was unpatriotic to drink tea. That's really interesting. That would have been hard for me because I like tea a lot. I know. And since (laughs) it's free here, you know, at the office. Right. Why not? Yeah. Gulp it down. And it wasn't just, you know, without rhyme or reason that Mm -hmm. Felicity had to refuse tea. There's actually historical basis for this. Yeah. And uh, it uh, all started basically... Back in colonial days when uh, the American colonies were still being ruled by uh, Britain. And uh, basically, Britain had left the colonies alone for a long time, like the do-your-own-thing sort of thing. And uh, soon, the the parliament started instituting taxes on the colonists and started enforcing it in such a way that like colonists weren't used to it. And they're like, this doesn't make sense anymore. You're treating us like below citizens. And uh, so they enforced the Stamp Act way back in 1765. And... Uh, 
this this was an interesting act. People would kind of think that it all only had to do with like stamps, like mailing stamps. What so actually lots of things had it had to be stamped at this time because of the tax, like newspapers and playing cards even had to be stamped at this tax. You had to pay something for this for the stamp in order to, uh, to pay the taxes to Britain. And so this was seen as sort of an oppressive act. And so. Uh, um, the colonists rejected it, and Britain came back and was like, "Okay, all right, you can't you can't take internal taxes. That's fine. What well, we're going to come back and do, and we're going to tax the stuff. Your what's called duties, um, uh, things that were taken in imports to the to the colonies. And things got so bad around mm-hmm. the time of the Stamp Act that the people who were actually in charge of overseeing the stamping resigned and yes. left their posts. Yeah, it was such a big uh, scandal." But, you know, you've probably all heard the expression, no taxation without representation. You Mm -hmm. certainly didn't miss that in history class, but you may not know why this was such a big deal. And so before we get into the tea side of the situation, um, I have an analogy for you. Sort of like when you're off at college, you're doing your own thing, you're in charge of yourself, you know, you may not be paying the bills, your parents may be helping out a little bit, but essentially you're ruling the roost. You set your schedule, you go to class, Mm -hmm. you feed yourself. And then Christmas break strikes and you come home and you're back under your mom and dad's roof. And all of a sudden, you know, curfew is back on. They mm-hmm. want to tell you what you're going to be eating for dinner. They want to tell you how to spend your time. Who you know can where you're see. Going. They want to know where you're going. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and this is probably how the colonists sort of felt because yeah, sure. parliament was essentially levying all these rules and policies against them. And if they made enough noise, Parliament would back off. They'd either yeah. amend the policies or they'd repeal them entirely. Mm-hmm. And so the colonists learned that this would work. Make enough noise, cause enough riots, protest just enough, and Parliament's going to stop. And the thing is, people over in England who were under the monarchy's rule, yeah, it was sort of okay for Parliament to make the rules for them because they had representatives. Mm-hmm. But in the colonies, there was no one. That's right, and they—that's when they started rallying. No taxation without representation. They didn't—they didn't vote for anybody to represent them in Parliament. So they thought, why do you have the right to tax us? We don't have a say in it. And uh, Parliament argued that the colonies did have representation. It's something they called virtual representation. That every single um, person in in uh, in the government represented all of the colonies. Uh, but that didn't sit well with the colonists. Not yeah. at all. And so you mentioned that things that were imported into the colonies had taxes attached to them. Mm-hmm. And one of these items was tea. And yeah. you've got to understand how popular tea was. Um, essentially, it was the only thing, you know, that, well, it wasn't the only thing that people drank, but it yeah. was the it's, beverage I mean, of choice. Yeah, it's hard to imagine in our coffee-obsessed culture, but I guess if we replace it with coffee and we think if, if uh, all of a sudden there was a monopoly on coffee or or all of a sudden coffee was taxed, um, of the wazoo, like we would, we would get really upset because a lot of, um, caffeine addicts would be upset. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the colonies were consuming about 1.2 million pounds, pounds weight wise, not money wise, per mm-hmm. year. That right. is a ton of tea. And if you drink coffee, like you were saying, Jane, you've got a couple of different purveyors that you can choose from. You know, sure. you can go generic, you can go high class, you can go middle of the road, grocery store brand, whatever. Yeah. But for the colonists, it was only the tea coming from the British East India Company. Yeah, and that upset a lot of people, like especially merchants who had contracts with with uh, other providers. And all of a sudden they had to only deal with uh, with English tea and they were a little upset about that as well. So the idea behind these different laws regarding the taxes on teas were that Parliament could levy the popularity of tea and the limited supply of tea to raise money for the French and Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. And again, the colonists were mad about this because they felt like they had no say in these wars. They were having to fund a war that they weren't really participating in that much. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess you could say England had a 
somewhat of a good case in saying that, you know, this French and Indian War went on in the colonies, and we were protecting you, we were protecting your lives from from the French and, and the Indian forces, and we want to pay for not only the, the debts that we incurred during that war, but for a standing army to protect it. But at the same time, I mean, obviously England wasn't, Exa- acting exactly selflessly, like they had stake in their American colonies, they had value to them. So it's not just that they were acting, you know, to protect the colonists. Right. And out of all the colonies, I think Boston was really one of the hot seats. Massachusetts, for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. this sort of protesting um, sentiment sure. sweeping through the colonies. Yeah. And one of the reasons was that there were soldiers stationed there starting around October 1768. Mm-hmm. And you have to imagine, you know, there's unrest, people are talking, people are dissatisfied, and then these soldiers come in. And not only that, the colonists were asked to actually quarter them in their homes. I can't even imagine what that was like, the quartering um, idea of, of um, British soldiers, uh, soldiers coming in and saying, you do, you, uh, we're not going to pay you back, but you have to give me a place to stay and, uh, you know, you deal with it. <laughs> but the people of Boston weren't ready to do that. Right. And so they fought back. Mm-hmm. So as far as the question of tea goes, they did the make a lot of noise, get the laws repealed thing. And that worked a couple times. We had the 1769 Indemnity Act, which repealed the tea tax, mm-hmm. but then the Townshend Acts restored it. And then those were repealed in 1770. But then in 1773, <laughs> we have the Tea Act that comes along. So it lowers the price of tea because the British East India Company can bring the tea directly to the colonies, but there's still a tax on it. That's true. And there's sort of two things going on here. One is the fact that only the East India Company could provide the tea. So there was a monopoly that they were enforcing on the colonies. And also, even though there was the most recent thing that happened was that it was sort of a cut on the taxes on tea. So they could get tea a little bit cheaper than they usually could. So it wasn't just about money. It was about the principle and it was about the monopoly. Right. The principle of the matter. Mm -hmm. And so on November 27th, 1773, there's this notice that goes up in Boston. And essentially, it's informing the citizens that the quote unquote detested tea is on its way from a ship called the Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. And so some people from Boston gather in the old meeting house, the old South meeting house, excuse me. And they start talking about what they can do about this tea. And there's a couple different solutions that they float, a couple different ideas. And ultimately, these sorts of meetings go on for months and months and months. And during this time, the, the royal British governor, Thomas Hutchinson, he's getting wind that the colonists and the patriots in particular are planning something. And so he tells his troops to use force to keep the ships in the harbor because mm-hmm. one of the tactics that the colonists had tried was asking if the ship's captains would just sail away, just leave. Yeah, and this is sort of a standstill. We should also note that the the ships wanted to unload their tea, but the colonists particularly didn't want them to do that because then they would have to pay the duty. One is uh, Apparently, according to the law, as soon as the tea was unloaded, somebody had to pay the, the duties on it. Right, so that's really significant. So mm-hmm. not just keeping the ships you know, in the harbor, but keeping the tea on board the ships. Mm-hmm. So over time, these meetings start to draw about 5,000 different people. And that's a really big number considering that the population was only around Mm 15,000. And eventually they get enough people clamoring, especially um, by virtue of the Sons of Liberty, who were a pretty active group of protesters and patriots, that they decide, Sam Adams, uh, Paul Revere, John Hancock, that Mm -hmm. they decide they can do something about this. And around this time, there's two more ships that come in, the Eleanor and the Beaver. So they're down at Griffin's Wharf. The people are at the Old South Meeting House. They've been meeting for months. They've been discussing. And then finally, out of nowhere, 
well, maybe not out of nowhere, but sort of <laughs> unexpectedly, someone mm-hmm. lets out sort of a, a battle cry, and yeah. it's more of a guttural noise, I think, than anything else, and it riles the people up, and they and they turn into a mob, and they storm down to the wharf, and they spend three hours, there's 116 of them, mm-hmm. dumping tea into the harbor. Yeah, and they ended up dumping 90,000 pounds, I think it was? Yeah, and by today's dollars, that's about $1 million worth of tea, or 18.5 million cups, and wow. the water was brown for days. I imagine. <laughs> but it was sort of a, I guess a polite mob as, as far as you can use that yeah, there term. Yeah, wasn't, it wasn't violence. You can no, tell, yeah. I think that there was some kicking and screaming, um, and the colonists who actually tried to filch some tea and take it home for themselves, they were rebuked by yeah. kicking, punching, hitting, that sort of thing. Which shows the testament to the principle of the matter, like the, the, the rioters um, had some pride in in. The principle of the thing. Right. They were making a statement. It was completely against the British government. It right. wasn't about each other. And only one man out of that 116 people was arrested. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, you know, the colonists sort of had to reevaluate, well, what happens next? And the day after this, which would have been December 17th, mm-hmm. 1773, they went back, they observed the harbor, there was still some tea floating around, so they, they beat it with their oars and, you know, made it go underwater, and it had all but been destroyed. Mm-hmm. But the British government didn't get word of the Tea Party, it was called, until January 1774. That's right, because uh, obviously it took some time for the news to get over there with the ships. There wasn't planes back then. Um, so when the message finally got there, they were less than pleased, to say the least. Um, and they enacted a few different things to punish, as, as punishment to Boston in particular. Uh, one was um, the port of Boston was closed, and they said you, you can't reopen until the um, East India Company is reimbursed for all the tea that you uh, destroyed. And uh, other things were like the Quartering Act was reinstated. Um, the idea of, of uh, making British uh, troops they they can stay in the in the houses of of colonists at the time. And another one was that uh, British officials who were accused of major crimes couldn't be tried in in, in uh, the colonies. The England was obviously suspicious of that at this point, so they said you have to ship them back to Britain before you try them. And uh, and finally, I think there were restrictions on uh, town meetings in Massachusetts in particular, and they, they were obviously afraid of more rabble-rousing going on there. And so a lot of people have the misconception that the Boston Tea Party was the direct link to the American Revolution. Yeah, it's kind of the idea you get in history class, of course, yeah. And that's not true, right. because we know that, again, the concept of make noise, get it repealed, this sort of went on for mm-hmm. a little while. But then finally, I guess it was about 10 months after the Tea Party occurred, uh, some citizens got together, and this is when the Declaration of Independence began to be drafted, mm-hmm. and, and people really started to think about having uh, an organized rebellion against England, not yeah. just the citizens of Boston, not just Massachusetts, but mm-hmm. all the colonies who'd been feeling this way for a while. And you could make the case that even um, other colonists who were for independence eventually uh, looked at the Boston Tea Party as, like, rabble-rousers, as a nuisance, sort of an uncalled-for mob, some people considered. Uh, and it's interesting to look back on it and and see now now it goes down in history as as this myth of our creation of our, of the United States, at least. And I love the name Boston Tea Party. And <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that came to be, but we know that one of the cries that was uttered during the rebellion was, you know, let's let's make a teapot of the harbor. Mm, and, and they did. They did. And I just think it really speaks to the American spirit that these people were inventive mm. and they were sort sure. of ingenious in what they did. Because in the end, like you said, you know, they owed some money to the British East India Company, but yeah. there weren't lives lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it was That's all true. done in good patriotic form. Peaceful protest is somewhat, yeah. Yeah. Mobs are funny like that. 
Yeah, and if you want to learn more about mobs, there's a, there's a podcast called Smart Mobs on Stuff You Should Know, another How Stuff Works podcast. If you want to check that out. And for even more about the city of Boston and the American Revolution and tea itself, be sure to check out HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Timons Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.